Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. That's our announcer, Mr. Gary Owen. And thanks, as always, to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Find fantastic podcasts at tangentboundnetwork.com, and all your entertainment needs are at axtel.com. Welcome in, everybody, to one of those rare, rare days where we just get to indulge a passion of mine I rarely get to do on this show, and I've actually been kind of chomping at the bit to do more. As most of you know by now, if you've been a loyal follower, because it does come up sometimes, I love true crime. I love following true crime stories. I love watching the murder of the weekend type shows, the the 2020s, the true crime 48 hour type mystery shows. I just love the sensationalism because yeah, it's pomp and circumstance, but you get to dig in and ask real questions. And growing up in a law enforcement family like I did, it is irresistible. I'm actually, I'm not ashamed to admit this now. I literally fall asleep to Forensic Files, the classic uh, cable half hour program that examines forensic science and how that is used to solve crimes. The narrator's voice is so soothing, and the way the show is written, it's more cozy Jessica Fletcher mystery than, you know, a gut-wrenching, emotional look at a murder. And it just, it actually kind of helps me relax. The logic of it all, the fact that these things fall into place, crimes get solved. I don't know, I fall asleep to it every night. Maybe that makes me weird, fall asleep to forensic files. All of this to say is that I am obsessed with true crime, and that means I have followed the career of today's guest so very closely, and am pleased to welcome Nancy Grace to the program. For those of you who don't know Miss Grace, who has become synonymous with court coverage in America, she got her start in the Georgia District Attorney's Office as a prosecutor, before heading to Court TV, and later her own self-titled TV show, Nancy Grace, on HLN which she helmed for over 11 years. Ms. Grace now runs CrimeOnline.com, a hub for updates on crime across the country. She also hosts a podcast on the website, which can be found in iTunes as well. I've linked to both below. Finally, back on TV, at least to me, finally, because I love to see her. Grace is co-host of a new legal talk show that sees her and ABC legal analyst Dan Abrams sparring over some of today's most hotly debated cases. Grace versus Abrams airs weekly on the A&E Network. I actually, I appeared in the audience, and my question even made it to air on episode five, I believe it was, of Grace versus Abrams, and that explored the Adnan Syed case. How fortuitous. I mean, the, the podcaster in the audience of the episode that explores the case made popular by a podcast, Serial. That night is actually where I met Nancy, and we instigated the process of booking her on this show. And before I dig into what we actually talk about... I want to give an important shout out to Ms. Grace's producer, who just had a family emergency, and I want to wish her well and let her know I'm thinking about her. Now, before I get your calls, your texts, and your emails wondering why are we veering off here, it's because I went back and forth with myself about whether I should do this. But the truth is, the reason you hear every single celebrity guest I have ever had on this program is because of a singular person working behind the scenes so hard for that particular personality. They're a person I rarely ever meet and you never hear about. It's a whole industry and celebrities all have them. You never hear about them, but they're how these media appearances get booked. Ms. Grace's producer, the name of whom I'm respectfully withholding because that's kind of standard in cable news, is because the producers are private citizens. You don't see a credit scrawl because 
they keep that information private. But I just want to say she worked her butt off to find time in Nancy's schedule to organize this. And like I said, as I was going into the editing booth, I found out she had a family emergency. And uh, I just wanted to let her know, if you're listening, thank you so much for all you do. I'm thinking about you. You are on the ball and incredible at your job. And you, ma'am, are the reason. I was able to chat with Nancy about the Golden State Killer, who was allegedly identified last month through DNA after decades on the run. Plus, we also talk about why it is so fascinating to re-examine cases, question juries, and the kind of pain and frustration that can cause all the parties involved in a case. We also talk about Scott Peterson and the disappearance of Lacey Peterson as a brand new episode of Grace vs. Abrams covering that very case airs tomorrow, May 8th on A&E. Check your local listings for airtimes. Here now, with her unique brand of commentary on the American legal system, our interview with Nancy Grace. Hi, Matt. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm so glad to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for offering to do this. Welcome officially (laughs) to Talk for Two. I want to jump right in to the Golden State Killer case. I want to say the thing I've noticed that uh, that nobody's really talking about is that the timeline lines up perfectly. He was an officer in Northern California during the uh, original Night Stalker days, and he was an officer closer to Southern California in uh, when he when he graduated towards murder. Nobody's really talking about that. But do you think the fact that he's a police officer uh, contributed to how he was not caught for so long? What happened there? Matt, I agree with you 200 percent on that. There's no doubt in my mind that it worked to his benefit in two ways. And I'm talking about the Golden State killer who has now been uh, arrested based on DNA evidence. And that's going to be very hard to refute. Oh, which is another issue I want to get in with, into with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as did being a former police officer help him? Yes, it did in two ways, uh, at least two ways. Number one, he knew how to not leave fingerprints. As you'll recall, mm-hmm. he could never pick up fingerprints on any of these scenes. And I mean, think about it, Matt. Think. 50 rapes, I think more, 12 people dead, and we don't have a fingerprint. Who in the world would be able to commit that many crimes without leaving a fingerprint? Number one, so he knew how to case a joint. He knew how to wait till that man had left. He knew to strike in the early morning hours when people would most likely be asleep. He knew very well who his targets would be. Second, How else did it help him in that he was almost above suspicion in that he was a police officer? One way that the Golden State Killer, who was also known as the East Area Rapist, who uh, was once known as the original Night Stalker. Why? Because he worked in multiple geographic areas. He would rape and murder in one area and seemingly move and rape and murder in another area and possibly rape and murder in another area that we don't even know about yet. Why did this stop me, police? Because they did not connect the two without fingerprints, without DNA that could be analyzed at that time. And yes, I tried cases when we did not have DNA. Um, it can be done, but not as easily. So they were never connected. Have the murders and rapes were not connected to the other half. And so nobody knew they were dealing with one serial killer. And again, he was beyond reproach because he was a cop. 
Yeah. And the DNA evidence I've been reading up on that is completely irrefutable, just untouchable in my opinion. It's You cannot defend against it because they kept it for so long and it matches so many of the crime scenes. What say you? I say that you're absolutely correct. And I believe that it will be matched to even more crime scenes, possibly crime scenes that we don't know about. Uh, when I when you say irrefutable, you're right. It's, for instance, one in 34 million chance that he is not the donor of this DNA. And when I say DNA, I'm talking about sperm from rapes, mm-hmm. rapes and murders. And the MO, modus operandi, method of operation, in many, many other of the cases match to the DNA cases, facts that the public may not even know about. Only the killer would know these central facts, these details of the rapes and murders, i.e., the person that left that DNA also committed the other rapes and murders because this, because they are fingerprint crimes. Exactly. Now, I noticed, I read a report that said he did not enter a plea, that uh, Joseph D'Angelo did not enter a plea. What is that? What does that mean? Is that a strategy for the defense? Does that harm the prosecution? What is the fact that when he was arraigned, he did not enter a plea mean? Well, it's it's a big deal. I would not expect him to enter a plea this quickly in mm-hmm. the proceedings. They've got to find out the evidence. They've got to look at the bare minimum they think the state can prove, and that's what they may end up pleading to. But forget about a plea. This is California. They've got the death penalty. Exactly. Twelve murders. Twelve murders. Who's going to just sign up for the death penalty? Uh-uh. N-O. I predict the state will seek the death penalty on this guy, even though they are old cases, but DNA never gets old, right? They can still prove the cases. A lot of the victims are still alive. They may be able to identify him. Why plead him out to life? No, uh uh-uh, not with 12 dead bodies. Plus, again, I believe that there are more victims we have not connected to him yet. I agree. It'll be interesting. Oh, oh, I got another thought on that. Please continue. Another, every day, he doesn't plead guilty is another day of innocence. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, that, that's the best possible scenario for him. And I know this, this sounds crazy, but it's true. And I had it happen to me. Let me tell you a little story. When uh, I hadn't been in, had not been in the DA's office a long time, I had just started trying murder cases when I was assigned a case that had occurred 14 years before I ever even made it to the DA's office. Uh, it was the murder of the brother of an Atlanta police officer who was out on his back patio toasting with his brand-new fiance. They had just gotten engaged. They were having a champagne toast in the sunset. And then these two pers who had just gotten out of jail, of course, go looking for their next victim. They get out of jail and start looking for a victim. They come up. They murder him, Stephen. Mm-hmm. They chase the fiance. She and I have stayed friends over the years. They chase her. She's screaming. And um, it, they were tried together. The problem is they had interlocking confessions, Matt. What that means is each one pointed the finger at the other. Mm-hmm. And that came in at trial. And that violates your right to remain silent. Because if you've got somebody bringing in your confession where you point to the other person and they don't take the stand either. They don't have a right to defend themselves. So it went up on appeal. It stayed on appeal for like 10 years. Wow. 
made its way back down. 14 years later, I was tasked with retrying the case, trying to put it back together again. Let me tell you something. I went to the evidence room to find the physical evidence. I found one x-ray and a hat, a baseball cap that said, kiss my bass. <laughs> that was my evidence. That's awful. Yes it, yes, it sounds funny, right? That is to illustrate my point that as time passes, I had witnesses that had died. Why was that important? Because uh, the perp had used the ATM machine, and we had a picture of him, and nobody could find the bank person that verified the picture. I couldn't bring in the picture without it being verified. He died. Wow. Okay? He died. I had to go through all kinds of hoops to get that picture in. With the, All you could see was the Kiss My Bass hat in it anyway. But I needed that picture. My point is people's memories fade. Witnesses die. Witnesses move out of state. You can't find them. Mm -hmm. Your case, a state's case, gets weaker and weaker with time delay. Defense gets better and better. That's how that goes down, Matt. Exactly. Well, at least the DNA evidence was preserved here. And it's interesting you said that uh, memories... The well, wait a minute. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The DNA is preserved. But what about the witnesses? Yeah. How do I know some of the women may have not be able to make an ID anymore? They may have moved. They may be dead. There are more women than the ones we know of. Count on that. Okay, just know that in your heart and soul and mind. Okay, there are more victims out there. And every day that passes, it gets harder and harder to prove this case. Yeah, uphill battle for sure, and it'll be interesting to follow. Speaking of cases that get reexamined, um, one that you are looking at on Grace versus Abrams this week is the Scott Peterson case. Now, what still enthralls about this case? Why are we still talking about this? The guy, to me, is a slime ball, too smooth, too slick. He's away. He's away. He's on death row. Leave him there. Why is this case still being debated to this day? Almost, you know, over a decade later. You know, even when you said that, my ears just pricked up when you said Scott Peterson. And thank you for mentioning Grace versus Abrams. It moves to an earlier time in prime time on May the 9th with Scott Peterson. I hope you can join me. Um, here's the deal with Peterson. First of all, the case is in jeopardy because his family, whom I've met some of their family, and you know what? God bless them. Mm -hmm. Because they love Scott Peterson, they believe him, and they're fighting for him. you got, you got to pray that you have a family that stands by you like they have. So this is not about them. You know, I disagree with them, but I commend them. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they believe they're right. I think they're wrong. They are fighting tooth and nail to get him a habeas corpus, which is Latin for produce the body. Corpus, body, um which means they're trying desperately to get a new trial. And this is what disturbs me. There have been a, you know about making a murderer, mm -hmm. uh, about Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey, who I was on that case when Teresa Hallback, their murder victim, was still a missing person. And Avery lied right to my face, lied to my face wow. about his movements and what happened that evening she was killed. He's guilty. Avery is guilty, all right? But because Making a Murderer came out on, uh, I guess it was HBO or Netflix, I don't even remember anymore, mm -hmm. everyone started thinking, oh, they're innocent. They're not, okay? Granted, Dassey didn't kill the woman, but he raped her and stood by while she was killed. Same thing has happened with Adnan Syed and the podcast Serial. 
And what's bothering me now is specials have come out, TV specials on Scott Peterson and these, quote, new witnesses that claim they saw Lacey Peterson alive after the time Scott Peterson went to work, went, left the home that day to go fishing, fishing. Yeah. air quote, air quote, mm-hmm. to go fishing on Christmas Eve, which means, ergo, he could not have murdered her. So if you watch these specials, you're like, oh, my star, Scott Peterson is innocent. He's not innocent. The jury got it right. Mm -hmm. So right now there's a tidal wave in his favor. And I'm telling you, Lacey's family is is heart sick. They deserve peace. Rocha has not been through enough. You know, her stepdad that raised her, Ron Gransky, just passed away. Yeah. So her mother has just been, had an onslaught of bad news lately. That's awful. And I guess that's my last question for you. Something I kind of wanted to frame today's talk in is what is with this, this feeling now that we're so enlightened that it's time to judge jury's decisions and look at things and, and sensationalize them in the media for kind of the opposite of what you do. Oh no, maybe they're innocent. We need to question the jury. (laughs) What's the deal with this? What's the deal with this? Can I ask you a personal question, dear? Please. How old are you? 23. Okay. My sweet, sweet boy. Listen, people have been questioning juries since the first jury there ever was. Okay. We're still talking about Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) we're, we're, we're always questioning juries verdicts when I don't like the verdict. I raise T total H E double L about it. Yep. Uh, everybody does. It's not, it's nothing new, but now it's, more publicized when we question a jury verdict like tot mom like robert blake like oj simpson and and or or in the on the other hand like adnan syed like scott peterson like uh stephen avery it's questioned what happened on both sides of the spectrum and you know what i think as irritating as it can be when you disagree with it i think it's good and i'll tell you why Mm -hmm. our system is the greatest system in the world. I agree. Our justice system. Yes, sometimes we get it wrong. Yes, there are bad cops. Yes, there are some bad judges. But for the most part, I find cops and judges to be very honorable people. What I'm saying is sunshine is the best detergent. Our system needs to be transparent. We need to take that jury verdict and turn it like a Rubik's Cube and take it apart and put it back together again. We need to hold the defense and the prosecution accountable for what's happening in court. We pay them. We pay the prosecutors to do the state's business to represent us. Often defense attorneys are paid by us to represent the defendant in court. I want the right person behind bars, and I want a fair trial. Why can't I have both? Exactly. And I think that's the balance of justice. When you see those scales, I think that's how we balance it out. Nancy Grace, this was a pleasure and an honor. Please come back. Thank you so much. This was fun. Well, I will, but I have to be invited. Oh, you will. You're always invited. Open (laughs) invitation. That's it for us today. Thank you again to Nancy Grace for coming on. And be sure to check out Grace vs. Abrams on A&E Network on a new date, Tuesday, May 8th. They used to air on Thursdays. They took a week off, and now they're back on a new night, May 8th. If you're listening to this on the day of its release, that is tomorrow. Her and Dan Abrams spar over Scott Peterson, as we just talked about. 
And also be sure to check out Crime Online linked in the description below on our website, talkfor2.com. Thanks again to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Stay tuned to talkfor2.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more from our show. Reach out to me directly by emailing talkfor2cast at gmail.com and talk about us on social media using hashtag talkfor2. You can at us and you can hashtag us. What a world we live in. And once again, what I call our mothership, talkfor2.com. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.